I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Morning and welcome to episode four or five. I think it's five already, Corey, of the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. And uh, we are excited this morning to be able to recap a historic victory, I would say, last night in a historic game. Easily the largest attended sporting event in the history of the Pittsburgh scene. In general, and that's crazy. I mean, what was it like actually being there, Corey? What did it feel like? I'm still buzzing, dude. I left the stadium at about 3 o'clock after I filed my story and crossed my T's and dotted my I's with everything. I got back. I stayed at my sister's last night. I got back to the south side at probably 3.15. I fell asleep at 6 a.m. this morning, and I never do that. Unless I'm like, I'm like... You're living the DK life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I don't do that unless something like this happens. But I was on just... And I'm in the press box, keep in mind, right? I was on just pure adrenaline after everything. I felt it. I don't have a stake in this game. Okay, I'm not a Pitt fan. Not a West Virginia fan. I didn't go to either school. Okay, I have no, I have no dog in this fight. I felt excited and energized and just like rush of energy and and just, you know, because of just the environment and what last night was about. It's a shame. It's a crying damn shame that this football game took 11 years to come back. It just is. Yeah. I, to hell with conference realignment, to hell with NIL, to hell with expansion. There is zero reason why this football game should not take place every year. I said that last week, and now that I got to feel it and experience it and be involved in it, I can reinforce that even further. My, we can, my wife was actually talking to me last night because she was at the uh, thirteen nine in Morgantown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, last night she felt like it had just come full circle for her. She was in tears watching this game last night. And, I mean, the passion that people feel on both sides of it, it's very real. It's not a contrived rivalry. It's real. Mm -hmm. And, man, the energy was insane. So, 
There was 25% Pitt fans, so man, they were really loud, right? Yeah, from the so-called uh, yeah 25 percenters in there. I think <laughs> I think the the graphic that was shown on ESPN that, by the way, Coach Narduzzi uh, blasted ESPN for on ESPN's own airwaves, by the way, right. uh, for that. I think there was a typo in that somewhere because it was definitely not 25% uh, pit fans in that stadium. It was, you know what? We have rocking. a little proof that it was a little bit better than that. I think let's, why don't we have Eddie go ahead and plug it in here. Eddie, why don't you give the fans a little bit of a taste of what sweet Caroline sounded like at field. There it is. I mean, Corey, it was it was loud. <laughs> I got that from the, I mean the press box was shaking, not just at Sweet Caroline. The press box was shaking at Devonshire's pick and we could obviously we could do a whole 30 minute show just on that play. At Devonshire's pick, my the same PC I'm recording on right now was going like this. Just earthquake. I, I mean, it was un Believable the energy in that stadium. This is what makes college football so amazing. Stuff like this and stories like MJ Devonshire, who from Aliquippa went to the University of Kentucky, transferred back home, talked about watching Darrell Revis's interception in the 06 brawl and yep. making a play like that and having the hometown hero make an impact on this rivalry that he grew up on. MJ Devonshire did that. And look, under the most un, uh, just unprecedented circumstances, JT Daniels throws a, I don't want to say perfect ball, but it was a good ball to Bryce Ford Wheaton, who had been making play after play after play on Pitt's secondary. Certainly a ball he had been catching all game. A ball that he catches 99 times out of 100. But on September 1st, 2022, at Acrisure Stadium, that was the 100th ball. It slipped, it caromed, it ricocheted, whatever, whatever verb you want to use, off his hands and into the basket of MJ Devonshire. And he made that three-step jab to the right. He cut back left. He found the lane, and as John Morgan said, 100-meter track speed. I mean, the scenes. You felt it watching on TV. You felt it in the stadium. If you were downtown in Pittsburgh or on, in, on the Strip, on the south side, on the north shore, wherever you may have been, you felt it. You heard it. You, you, just, you, you experienced it. And to me, that play is going to live on in this, hit, in this rivalry's lore for a long, long time. And he deserves and then it. You get a, yeah. You get a player like Alexander, 
goes down. And, you know, we talked about his importance last week in, in depth. I think we spent a good five, six minutes talking about him, how important he was, two-time captain. Lose him relatively early in the game, and then John Morgan comes in and just demolishes West Virginia's offensive line. The play, the second-best defensive play in that game was the sack on Daniels on the final possession. Morgan, from the tape that I remember seeing, was lined up on uh, on the defensive end. He ran a stunt around the tackle and shot the gap untouched. Beeline to Daniels. Now, at first it was like, oh, Daniels was down when Morgan got to him, but obviously wasn't ruled that way. And then Baldonado and then another local, David Green, were there to clean it up. John Morgan was everywhere in that backfield. Tackles for loss, applying pressure to JT Daniels, flying around. That's what John Morgan does. And I look, I don't want to say I told you so, but – I said on this very podcast last week, I said on this very podcast throughout training camp, this dude is looking better on that defensive line. And Alexander, we're anticipating he's going to be okay. They have said as much. We're expecting to see him again next week against Tennessee. But John Morgan's here, and he came to play on Thursday. If if Devin Shire is your defensive MVP, John Morgan's number two, in my opinion, and Servassier Dennis is number three. Servassier, dude, I thought it was Bill Goldberg out there laying spears in the WCW (laughs) era. I saw some hits from Servassier that I never, I I mean, not that I never expected it, but I saw some hits that were just insane. I mean, what a credit to that defense and them stepping up late. And Devin Shire, again, he's going to live in backyard brawl lore forever. And and you got to love that. I'll tell you what, Corey, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit more backyard brawl, some of the things that we expected and saw, some of the things we didn't expect and saw. And, you know, we'll get to your interview with uh, Karthik. You want to say his last name for me? <laughs> Karthik. So it's Karthik Venkatram, and he is a, a sports He's a sports director at WBIR-TV in Knoxville, Tennessee. He's a friend of mine. We went to Syracuse together, and uh, he's a great dude. So he was very courteous enough to join us to uh, give us a, a perspective on Tennessee. So that will be coming up in segment three. Yeah, good stuff. Really looking forward to that, too. So let's take a quick break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Right, and Corey and Gary back with the H2P podcast. Uh, let's keep going on the brawl, man. I mean, the first thing I think, we were both dead on about Bryce Ford being a scary player. And man, does he got NFL receiver written all over him. Despite that butterfinger play that, that ended up costing him the game, they wouldn't have even been there if it weren't for him. That play notwithstanding, I mean, the two touchdown catches he made, 
Number one, beautiful back shoulder balls by JT Daniels in the end zone, in the corner of the end zone. I mean, those are passes that only Bryce Ford Wheaton could have got. Ford Wheaton, 16 targets, 9 catches, 97 yards, 2 touchdowns, only 39 yak, though. So, you know, Pitt did a pretty nice job of bringing him down once he actually made the plays. And obviously right. that freak, fluke, however you want to call it, just it looked like a punt from Daniels almost. He threw it so sky high. And that jump yeah. ball that Eric Hallett probably should have just knocked down, that Ford Wheaton pulled down. I know, I know you oh, know exactly insane. what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. It was like – it was a punt in a way. It really did look like a punt. Yeah. And when it was coming down, it was coming into a sea of Panthers. You just felt interception coming, right? Yeah. And the, here comes Ford Wheaton just flying through the air like Superman. I think he jumped 40-some inches in the air, and he's already a tall guy. So, I mean, man. Yeah, nuts. made things a lot more difficult, did Ford Wheaton. But then, you know, who saw uh, C.J. Donaldson – coming into the stat sheet, by the way, listed as a tight yeah, end on the depth chart. End, huh? Yeah, listed as a tight end on the depth chart. I think someone made an error on that one. I think we need to pencil him in at running back because he was just seven carries, 125 yards, zero yards lost either. 17.9 yards per carry, one touchdown. I mean, where'd this guy come from? Nobody had, I don't think anybody had C.J. Donaldson in the uh, nope. scouting report. So, you know, good for him. I mean, if, if West Virginia wins this game, we're talking about Bryce Ford Wheaton going up and taking it off the rim, and we're talking about the C.J. Donaldson game. Now, up until Devin Shire's pick, it was going to be about Rodney Hammond and Izzy Abanacanda for Pitt in that running game. Rodney Hammond, 16 carries, 74 yards, two rushing touchdowns, 129 all-purpose yards. That's a hell of a day for a true sophomore in first brawl. That was a great day for Rodney. I was really impressed with him and how he was able to move forward. And those two touchdowns, you want to talk about bully ball, push the pile, yeah. get, get, you know, grit. I mean, just push it forward I, and get in the I, end zone. Those were great runs. I'd be lying if I told you I remembered which offensive lineman it was, but whoever it was picked him up and carried him across the, the goal line there. I want to say it was Jacoby. That did that, but regardless, you know that's that's team football right there. I yeah. I, I believe it was Ryan Jacoby that did that, but I mean, what this gave us, this brawl gave us new stars, new names, new blood. It gave us so much new. And by the way, they get to do this again over the next three years. So buckle up, Buttercup. <laughs> that's great, and it, you know Keaton Slovis had a historic start for a pick quarterback, really. Um, most passing yards for a pit quarterback in his first game in a long time. Yeah, and you know what? There were parts where Slovis looked like he had it, and there were parts where Slovis looked a little rattled, a little like the moment was getting over over his head and overshadowing him a bit. But credit to him, he didn't throw an interception. He didn't turn the ball over. His passer rating was through the roof also. 16 to 24, 308 yards and a touchdown, a long of 64. Um, it just, when I think of what Keen Slovis did down the stretch, managing the game, taking care of the football, he kept his composure late. There was a drive. It was the drive before, I believe, 
Pitt touched the ball, and Abana Canada had the, the catch and the run for the touchdown. Pitt's drive before that, Slovis got sacked twice. And the right. one, I believe, was when he just got the ball and ran straight back. And we're all like, we're in the press box like, oh, no, here we go. And I'm yeah. sure all, all of you at home are like, oh, no, here we go. But the return to the field, keeping the composure, going downfield like they did. And obviously, Abanacanda, the cat, I mean, Slovis threw like a five-yard pass. And Abanacanda caught it and ran it 20. Pitt receivers racked up 173 yards after the catch. Now, Hammond had 68 of those, and one play from Jared Wayne gave us 50. And that was a big play, don't get me wrong. But that figure is a very telling figure, 173 yak for pit receivers. I mean, what more can you ask for helping your quarterback out in, in his team debut and backyard brawl debut and biggest crowd in Akersher in Pittsburgh history and all of these circumstances. What more could you ask for to help your quarterback than that effort right there? Just a Absolutely. tremendous, it was a team effort. It really was. And for Keaton Slovis to not turn the football over and for him to not let the moment overcome him. There were moments where we thought, oh no, here we go. Right. But again, Slovis found ways to make it work. And at the end of the day, it worked. And here we are talking about Pitt as a winner, not because of Slovis. I want to make that clear. Not entirely because of Keaton Slovis, but he had a part and he definitely had a role in this. And for a guy to come in for his first game with this team, with with this rivalry, I think he handled himself at times, again, shaky, but at times he looked good and he looked composed. And that's all you can ask for if you want to win a football game. Well, individual performance is one thing. Let's talk about the overall offensive structure because it was a little weird. Um, you know, I, I get pro style. I felt it was a little too bunched a lot, kind of restricted what they could do out of the formation. And as I kind of alluded to last week, it minimizes what you can really do with Gavin Bartholomew. And I think that guy's a weapon, and I would really like to see them use him a little bit more what are your overall thoughts of, of the formations? Do you see them evolving? Did things just go as planned? So in the backyard brawl, somebody commented it on, in the live feed, which, by the way, if you were in the live feed and you're listening to H2P now, thank you. I, I mean, you all rocked on Thursday. I had a blast talking with you all on Thursday. Somebody asked, what do you think the split will be between rushing and passing? and what Pitt's going to do in the brawl. Keaton Slovis threw the ball 24 times. Guess how many times they ran it, Gary? I'm going to go ahead and guess 24. <laughs> 38. Oh, wow. 38 rushing attempts. Now, that could count sacks. That could count you know, whatever it may be. But point is, that number is still greater than the passing attempts. So Pitt whether it was game plan, whether it was a sign of things to come for this offense, felt that they were going to run the football. And by the way, they teased this all throughout training camp. This isn't that surprising. Ronnie Hammond, 16 carries. Izzy Abanacanda, 8. Daniel Carter, 2. Sebo Flemister, 1. You didn't see uh, Vincent Davis take a, take a carry in this game. So this right. committee of 4 or 5, is holding true. Obviously, Hammond, we didn't expect Hammond to get 16 to Abana Canada's eight in the run game. You know, Abana Canada got the 
top of the depth chart with no ore. That's a big no, Ham, thing. Hammond just took it. Hammond, I think this is evidence that, but I think Hammond taking it is evidence that Signetti and Narduzzi are not going to be afraid to ride a hot hand at this running back committee, which is great. I'm glad to see that because I don't want this team to be hinged on one running back the entire time. If Hammond or if Izzy or if Carter or Sebo or Vin, whoever it is, if they are hot, keep them hot, let them go. And obviously Frank Signetti, he can adjust. So they obviously felt, and there were times where I'm like, why don't they just throw? Like, this looks easier. You know, like there were times where Slobus, he got cooking a little bit, and then they would, you know, run a couple and slow it down a little bit and not use play action. So there was a little bit of that. To your question about the tight ends, I thought we would see more Gavin Bartholomew than maybe expected. He got two targets. Really, it was one. One of the targets was Slovis flushed out. He had to throw it away, and, and Bartholomew was there. So really, he got one target, one catch, nine yards. Not impressive. Pitt was playing down to tight end, Carter Johnson. Coach Narduzzi told us in the press conference after the game that uh, Johnson was dealing with an infection, with an issue, with a medical issue, and couldn't make the game. So we, we obviously all hope that Carter's okay, and Narduzzi has talked up Carter Johnson a lot throughout camp about his progress and his potential in this offense. You know... It could you also be a, shouldn't pretend that West Virginia was struggling to get through the offensive line. Maybe they needed the protection too. So. Yes, and, and that's another point. I'm glad you said it. You know, we can't forget Dante Stills in this. Right. He's a freak athlete. He is a force. He was hard to contain all throughout the game. He was able to break free on a couple of big sacks and a couple of big plays. And yes, you might need the protection there just a little bit more from Bartholomew or whether it was Vincent Davis, I'd have to go back and watch some more tape on uh, you know how the running backs were used in blocking. But it was very clear that Rodney Hammond got going and they were going to lean on him for a bit. Now, there were a couple of drives. I, I think Rodney Hammond didn't touch the ball until the, uh, until the third drive of the second half, which was a little alarming to me, or second drive of the second half, which again, if he's cooking, keep him cooking, you know, keep him hot. But at the end of the day, again, this offense is going to be very fluid in the sense of the pieces that benefit from it. You know, there were a couple shots take Bub means three catches on five targets for 44 yards. He also had that drop that could have been, you know, a very long touchdown. You know, Bub means had his chances. Wayne was only targeted five times. Kanate Mumfield led the team in targets with eight, by the way, Akron kid, five catches, 71 yards. I think I said something about this Kanate Mumfield kid. I think he's yes, special. He I think he's special for this offense. I, I hate admitting when I'm right, but I also love doing it. So well, anyway. if you're right all the time, it's not really your fault. No, I but guess we do not. have to wrap up talking about the brawl as sad as it is because I'm we've fired got a little up, bit man. of a preview to do of Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, that's that's gonna take some time. But I just wanted to wrap it up real quick by saying, if nothing else, this was a great football game. I mean, this was good for the game of college football. Um, I know it was hard fought. No, no ill will, but from me on from either side, I thought both sides really, really gave it their all. And I, one last thing I wanted to mention was Narduzzi's little dig about uh, he would have gone for it on fourth and inches. There, I thought yeah. that was hilarious. What are your thoughts on that before we close up? Yeah, real quick, I, I can't believe he punted. I thought if they could have got they could have gotten a yard with with Donaldson, they could have gotten a yard with Ford Wheaton maybe on a sweep. 
I can't believe Neil Brown punted there. I think that swung the entire game. More than Devin, more than more than Devin Shires pick, more than any sack, more than any touchdown. That game, that punt decided who was winning the football game. Look, I I might be saying like an old school philosophy here, but that's a losing move. You know, that's a losing play. Punting when you're up seven, you have the momentum, you're at midfield. It's not going to kill you if you don't get this first down. You got to go for it there, Neil Brown. I'm sorry, and it's easy for me to armchair it and say that, but. Pat Narduzzi had no problem saying it either. So, <laughs> hey, facts. He gave the game away right there. You know, you got that kid. Nobody had touched Donaldson. Mm-hmm. There's no way he wasn't going to get a couple inches there. <laughs> yeah, it's a big so, what if. It's a big what if. But hey, you know, all good things must come to an end. The backyard brawl is over, and so is our discussion on the recap of it. So, let's take another quick break and come back. Corey and his buddy talking about Tennessee. A little bit of a preview for you. It's going to be exciting. And uh, Johnny Major's classic just doesn't have the same ring. But let's go ahead with it anyway. All right, third segment here on the H2P podcast. Corey Christen back with you. Gary Morgan has stepped away, and I am pleased to welcome my friend and soon to be yours. He covers Tennessee football for WBIR TV in Knoxville, Tennessee. He is Karthik Venkatram. And Karthik, what's up, bro? How you been? Good, man. What about you? Long time no talk. Talk a little before the uh, the football season. Then obviously when you when you got this job over in Pitt, I was like, let's go. <laughs> week two, week two, the football season. We knew we'd have a little reunion. So quick on Karthik and I, we went to Syracuse together. We were classmates in the same program. So we go back a few years and Karthik, he's bounced around and he's now down in Knoxville, like I said, covering the balls. And, you know, Karthik's got a swell beat too, covering SEC football. So listen, man, I'm still buzzing off the brawl. You had a little bit of an easier Thursday as Tennessee rolled past Ball State. And uh, obviously with the balls rolling into the act, as it's uh, affectionately known as by some of the pit players. You know, this is a different matchup than what we're going to see from last year. I mean, no Kenny Pickett, no Jordan Addison, obviously on Pitt's side. But Tennessee's defense last year, I'll just say it plain, it wasn't great. So what's there to look forward to in this matchup this year, Karthik? Tell me a little bit about where Tennessee's improved from last year and you know what we can look forward to seeing up in Pittsburgh on Saturday. Yeah, let's uh I guess we'll start with the defense here. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, you could run water through that defense last year with, you know, all the leaks and holes that felt like they had, especially earlier on in the season. They weren't really developed, but even as the season went on, had trouble stopping people on third down, had trouble tackling, had trouble causing turnovers. So, Tennessee's defense I feel has taken uh, you know, its biggest strides this season. A lot with its depth. I think they're a lot deeper this year. Uh, they had a lot of injuries, bang ups, and you know, coaching turnover causes a lot of that. Uh, I think that that's one place that they've gotten stronger. I think they've got some talented dudes. They are replacing, uh, you know, guys that went to the NFL or you know, guys that left the program like Alante Taylor. Uh, you know, at the cornerback position. And if you look at the D line, like guys like Matthew Butler. So, uh, you know, there there's some guys that have come and gone, some new faces that that have stepped up. But uh, you know, they play pretty good, uh, obviously it was ball state so i don't know how much you can really take away from you know beating up on the cardinals and really getting a strong first half there but 
you know, I thought overall they played pretty well. Uh, you know, they had two picks, one coming on the first play of scrimmage on defense with Tamarian McDonald. He's new in the star defensive back position for Tennessee over there. Uh, he came up with a good pick in which he, you know, read the play right and got a really great break on the ball. And Tennessee was able to score immediately after. And then Kamal Haddon, um, new to the cornerback position, getting a lot more playing time this season. Uh, he stepped in and he also got a pick in that game. And then they forced a fumble too. So, you know, very encouraging sign from Tennessee, you know, in their first game of the season that they come out, uh, they forced some turnovers, three of them, you know, after a year in which, uh, you know, it didn't really feel like they were doing a lot of that. Uh, tackling looked a little better. Once again, third down looked about a little better, but it's ball state. I think, you know, going into this week, it's, it's going to be, you know, a whole different challenge. Obviously Pitt is, a is a much higher up step than, uh, than, you know, going up against ball state and, you know, uh, their coaching staff is, uh, you know, big on defense and has been. So I think it'll be it'll be interesting, um, you know, going into that matchup. I think the defense has taken st- strides for Tennessee, um, but you know, I think this will be a big a big telling point. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, no no Kenny Pickett, who kind of seemingly tore them apart, and as well as you know the rest of that offense last year. It'll be interesting to see what the turnover on Pitt's offense, what what Tennessee is able to do as well on the offensive side of the ball. You know, they've lost some pieces, but I think, you know, in comparison to last year, Hendon Hooker didn't even start that game last year. It was Joe Milton that uh, started the game. He ended up getting injured, and that's what brought Hendon Hooker in. And then Hendon Hooker, you know, obviously, if anyone followed Tennessee football after that, if you're on the pit side, uh, Hendon Hooker started the rest of the season because he started playing really great. And he played pretty well in that Pittsburgh game, minus that, you know, that pick on that final drive. Um, that really sealed the game for, for the Panthers. But Hendon Hooker is, uh, is a different beast this season that, and when Pittsburgh saw him last season, uh, you know, towards the end of last year's when he really started getting his stride and playing extremely well, throwing touchdowns every game, accounting for like pretty much all of Tennessee's offense, it felt like in some games. And he was just, you know, masterful. And then, you know, really this offseason, it seemed like he had gone to work really hard. And that's what the coaching staff had said about him so much, uh, you know, to the point now that people consider him a dark horse Heisman candidate. Uh, he is he's different. I mean, just even seeing him, you know, in week one, his efficiency, he only threw like one pass that, you know, people may have scratched their heads over. But over that, I, other than that, it seemed like he had a really good grasp of the offense. And, you know, Josh Heupel, the head coach over here at Tennessee, has been, you know, talking a lot about how much of a command he has over the offense, how great his leadership has, how much he's been pushing his teammates. Like this guy, he, he's on a different level now. So I would say that's one thing Pittsburgh's, uh, you know, going to have to keep their eye on is how good Hendon Hooker is. Uh, you know, looking at like, the receiving numbers from last year, you see Jimmy Callaway obviously broke that uh, big touchdown there. Uh, you know, I think that was late in the first half uh, where he broke it off the screen and took it to the house. Uh, that was a big play for Tennessee. But he doesn't have a really big, uh, you know, you know, like presence in the offense. Uh, Jacob Warren had like five catches for 55 yards. Princeton Fant four for 47. But they don't, you know, the tight ends aren't as really involved in the offense now uh, as much on the receiving end. Maybe they get, you know, like, you know, three, four catches a game. It doesn't really feel like uh, Bayless Jones Jr. had three catches, 31 yards. He's not there anymore. Cedric Tillman, one catch for 20 yards, and now he's their best receiver, a 1,000-yard receiver last season for Tennessee. Now the first to do so in program history since 2012. He's he's a beast and one of the best wide receivers in the nation. Um, I really think that Cedric Tillman could have a big game against Pitt, uh, definitely from a size advantage standpoint, just because 
you know, he's a beast in his own right. And I would say that that's Hendon Hooker's favorite target. Uh, so, you know, that I think, you know, in that, in that regards, the offense can, can be looking scary from that perspective. And they got some new guys in there that seem to really be, uh, you know, fitting the roles and doing well. Uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, Jabari Small, their running backs, put on a lot of weight, and he's looking sharp too. So, uh, you know, the the offense, you know, for how good it was last year, I think they can really even take a bigger step this year. And I think, you know, for you know how many points they put up last year in that game, which was thirty four, I think Tennessee, you know, they're on a four game streak in which they put up forty five points. So this is an offense to mess with right now, Corey. Yeah, it sounds like it from all of that. And I was going to ask about Hooker versus Milton here because you brought it up, you know, Milton getting injured, Hooker coming in in that pit game. And I want to ask you this about the offense. Did anything really change in terms of play design, in terms of play calling from when Milton was at quarterback versus the Hendon Hooker era, if you will? How has the offense kind of changed and evolved around Hendon? I wouldn't say the offense has particularly changed. They both kind of run the same schemes, and then there's obviously wrinkles that have been thrown into the offense this year. But Joe Milton's big thing and, you know, why he may have not been as efficient, you know, as a quarterback for Tennessee and why eventually Hendon Hooker became the starting quarterback is – Joe Hilton throw, uh, Joe Milton throws a lot of heat on his balls, uh, sometimes, you know, overthrowing receivers, not hitting his targets right, missed on a lot of deep balls last season. And that's a lot of the stuff Hendon Hooker, you know, was really able to do well and, you know, why he ended up keeping that position and why he's become so efficient. He hits his targets. He hits the deep balls. Uh, you know, those were the things Tennessee was missing last year. So once Hendon Hooker really, you know, started coming in there, uh, he just felt more efficient. Joe Milton played last night, you know, in week one against Ball State. He looked better than he did last year. Uh, he had some nice throws in there. Hendon Hooker is, you know, just a different animal, and he seemed to really grasp onto what Josh Heifel and the staff, uh, you know, have, have really wanted from him, and the reins are in his hands. I was going to ask about Heifel next. Year two under him, obviously Vols fans accept expect better than seven and six where are the expectations for this program this year in a realistic sense compared to again first year last year kind of a rebuild ish where are we at right now with the Vols program in that in terms of that growth yeah I think everyone well at least from a fan's perspective and you know a lot of people here in the media we expect nine ten wins out of this program there's no reason why they shouldn't uh, especially you know with how much the offense has stepped up how much the defense has stepped up this should definitely be a top 25 team by the end of the season there would be no excuses anything short of that would you know be a failure in my opinion because of you know the steps that they've taken forward and how good they should be um they definitely look sharper in week one this year than they did last season so that that's a step up in itself uh this team could be really good uh, and i think it all starts with the offense and how elite they are and how fast they go and you know how efficient they're able to move the ball um but, you know, I think, you know, in the, in the same regard, they are missing some pieces from last year. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, as they get into, you know, next week versus Pitt and a couple weeks from now, they take on Florida at home, which is a big rivalry game for Tennessee, how that team is going to, you know, mesh when the tougher games come around, how those new pieces are really going to fit in then when you're not beating up on a team like Ball State that you paid $1.5 million to come play in Neyland Stadium. So, uh, there'll be some pieces to figure out along the way. And obviously the team has some ways that they can improve after week one, but nine, 10 wins in the regular season is realistic. Uh, you know, they play tough teams like Alabama and Georgia that could both very well make the college football playoff again this year. Um, so that could result in a couple losses and then road trip to LSU tough game always against Kentucky nowadays. Uh, you know, there, there's some stuff in there where you might see, you know, some losses here and there, but 
nine, 10 wins, very realistic. A lot of people think that that's it. And I'm sure Vols fans are going to be very disappointed if that's not the case. It's Karthik Venkatram at WBIR-TV in Knoxville joining us here on the H2P podcast. Karthik, one more thing here. Pitt, they didn't play their best game against West Virginia. There were a couple times where Keen Slovis looked a little rattled in the pocket, but he eventually did find time to settle down. You know, a couple of plays were kind of left out there. Where do you see a strong matchup that would favor Tennessee in this game? It's that. I think, you know, when you're facing such a offensive firepower in Tennessee, you got to make sure you're putting up points on the board as well. And, you know, if Tennessee's defense is able, I know West Virginia, what they had five sacks against the Panthers. Uh, Tennessee didn't have one in week one, but they've got some good pass rushers in there that, you know, have ability. If they're able to cause some disruption and stop that, you know, Pittsburgh offense, if you let Tennessee's offense back on the field and you, you let them keep coming with how fast they move, they'll tire out of defense and they put up points up quick. So, you know, I would say the matchup that I'd be watching out for is can Pitt's offense be able to produce in the same regard that Tennessee's offense is able to do? Because if not, and you keep giving Tennessee the ball back real quick, if that defense is able to complement the offense for the balls, it's a really scary thing because Tennessee Tennessee is able to put up points in a hurry. And then all of a sudden you can find yourself down two score, three score, and then you know, how, how much are you pressuring yourself to try and get up? And then is that going to cause you into more mistakes? Uh, you know, I didn't get to watch the full game of Pitt. I had to watch the highlights because I was over at the Tennessee game last night. But from what I saw, there was some sloppiness, uh, you know, a little bit on the offensive side of the ball, block punt, stuff like that. You can't give Tennessee opportunities like that with how good their offense is. Uh, top 10 offense in the country, in my opinion. So I think that that's what I'll be looking out for. You got you to gotta be sharp. What about on the flip side? Is there a hole in Tennessee's game, whether it's offense or defense, that might concern you a little bit that Pitt could take advantage of? Yeah, I'm interested to see, you know, defensively, you know, how Tennessee's really going to hold up now that they're going to go against, you know, a better team, a better offense. We saw it in week one. They didn't allow points in the first half when they were playing Ball State. But here we go. Uh, They missed some tackles yesterday. Their run defense at times, they let up some gashes here and there for the most part. Um, pass defense was fine other than the fact that they couldn't get to the quarterback. I know Pittsburgh's returning a very, uh, you know, a lot of starters on the offensive line, if not all their starters, you can correct me on that if I'm wrong. Uh, so, you know, if Pittsburgh is able to really protect Slovis and Slovis is able to, you know, do some damage, then that could bode well. As I said, Tennessee didn't have a sack in week one, which is, you know, a little head scratching for this team because we expected, you know, maybe maybe they'd at least get a couple with, you know, a first team all SEC guy a preseason and Byron Young and Tyler Barron on the opposite side. So, you know, Slovis is able to have time and, and throw in the pocket there and, you know, go. We'll see how Tennessee's new DB. They have got a lot of new DBs and some new and some new dudes in there. Uh, we'll see how they're able to hold up. I mean, that 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 would be the one, you know, hole on defense. And then on offense, we'll see how some of these other pieces, uh, you know, Cedric Tillman obviously had a great season last year, but Jalen Hyatt's still looking to prove himself. Uh, Brew McCoy, who's a transfer from USC, just got eligibility. He played decently well in week one with three receptions, 42 yards, but we'll see how he's able to play Walker Merrill, those other guys at the receiving position and how the depth of the running backs really going to unfold throughout the season. So, you know, there are some questions, you know, for Tennessee and we're going to see how they get answered as, you know, these weeks go on. And, you know, that could be the difference in whether they're a, you know, seven, eight win team again, or if they are a nine, 10 win team again. Um, and, you know, I guess we're going to see how it plays out so early in the season. It's, it's hard to tell on some of the stuff, but Tennessee did look pretty sharp in week one. 
Yeah, these are two teams with, I mean, New Year's six in sight. You know, that's what their goal is this year, if not playoff. And obviously a lot has to happen one way or another. To set that record straight with you, by the way, Pitt did return all five of their starting linemen from last year. However, Gabe Hoy, the right tackle, missed the West Virginia game. So take from that what you will. And they've uh, rotated in a couple of right guards. But look, Tennessee puts up 59 on Ball State. This could be another high-scoring affair next week as well, and I can't wait to watch it unfold down at Acrisure Stadium. I'm, I'm still the only one, I think, in the city of Pittsburgh that hasn't slipped up on that. So I'm going to continue, <laughs> I'm going to continue my track record and keep it, keep it clean on that front. Karthik Ben Katram at WBIR TV in Knoxville joining us here on the H2P podcast. Dude, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. And I uh, hope you can get up here to the Steel City. Permandy Bros, I see lights. We will do that at some point over the weekend, should you make the trip. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Yeah, it was great talking to you. And it uh, should be a great game this upcoming Saturday. And we'll see if the balls, uh, you know, we're recording this on a Friday. We'll see if they sneak in the top 25. So this can be a top 25 matchup come Saturday. Oh, I can't wait. That's going to be so awesome. It's going to be electric again at Akersher and looking forward to another good week of college football. Thanks again, Karthik. And obviously, thanks again to Gary Morgan, my co-host here on the H2P podcast, right here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Network. And thank you for listening, those of you that chose to do so this week, especially after a rowdy and unbelievable backyard brawl, a historic affair, pit a 38-31 winner over West Virginia. We'll be back with more here pretty soon on the H2P podcast right here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Network. So for Karthik Venkatraman and Gary Morgan, my name is Corey Crisson. And as always, H2P, hail to Pitt.